Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. On May 10th, 1967, naval aviator Bruce Peterson was piloting a Northrop M2 F2 experimental aircraft above the California desert. Unexpectedly, it began to oscillate, I believe that is the correct term, and Peterson lost control. The aircraft crashed, hitting the ground at 250 miles an hour, and it rolled end over end time and time again. Peterson suffered extensive injuries, including the loss of his right eye, but by some miracle he survived. And that's not the only thing that survived that crash. The whole sequence was photographed and filmed. Here is a picture of what was left of the aircraft when it quit rolling. The footage and the audio are sketchy, they are intact, and you have likely seen the grainy black and white footage of that event. In the video that you have likely seen, just before the aircraft goes tumbling across the California desert, we hear the pilot radio command with these words, I've got a blowout, damper three, pitch is out, I can't hold altitude, flight calm, I cannot hold, she's breaking up, she's breaking, and the comms go silent. But that is not the voice of Bruce Peterson in the video that you have probably seen. Peterson's last words before hitting the desert floor in a very good Midwestern kind of way were simply, boy, there's some glitches here. (laughs) You betcha. The voice of the pilot most associated with the crash is that of a fictional character named Steve Austin. And after his comms go silent, a dramatic script is voiced from off camera. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. And then Oscar Goldman speaks, gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before Better, stronger, faster. That is correct. Hollywood took an actual crash and used it to produce the opening credits to the $6 million man. The series and a few movies by the same name starred Lee Majors as this bionic cyborg. He had new legs so he could run like a cheetah. He had an electromagnetic, mechanical, telescopic eyeball to see great distances. He had bionic arms powered by atomic energy with the strength of bulldozers in his biceps. He took his new body and he went to work as a special agent. And as the 1970s rolled along, he faced everything from 
foreign operatives and space invaders to Bigfoot and a nemesis named the $7 million man because just like Apple, they always want you to upgrade to the latest product. And to be fair, you really can't even get a hip replacement for $6 million anymore. (laughs) And if the $6 million man was produced today in 2022 dollars, he would be the $38,851,891.89 man. But I digress. He would find his soulmate later, or at least his equal, the Eve to his Adam, and that was Lindsay Wagner, the bionic woman. She was a teacher, former professional tennis player. She was injured in a skydiving accident. She got the same fancy legs, a new right arm, and a bionic ear with supersonic hearing. So together, these two were quite a pair. The new humanity rising up from the earth. In the mid-1970s, that was all science fiction. Today, we are much closer to becoming actual androids. New joints, internal robotics, cornea transplants, cochlear implants. In the decades to come, scientists will be growing replacement organs in a lab. There is now no doubt whatsoever about that. And the average life expectancy for children in the developed world, born in this decade, may indeed stretch out to be more than 100 years old. But, what is so good about all of this if we haven't had some kind of change within? We can change our outsides. We can become better, stronger, faster, Bionic in our capabilities externally. But does that really matter if we haven't had changes of heart and mind within? We need more than rebuilt bodies. We need a rebuilt spirit. We need more than new technologies. We need to be made new within. We don't need bionic arms or super speed or tactical vision and hearing as much as we need completely refashioned hearts and minds. All futurists today say that the great danger to humanity in the future is humanity. Because our abilities have outpaced our wisdom. We've got all the inventions that we will ever need but we haven't had the change from within to become transformed people, a new humanity. This brings us today on this Easter Sunday to our study of the cross once again that we have been exploring for several weeks. And you might say today, the cross, new humanity, I thought the cross was about getting us out of here. I thought Jesus lived and died so that he could come alongside this spaceship called Earth that is doomed and, and, and pull us off of it and take us to faraway heaven where we'll be safe and sound or at least a safe harbor when we die. Well, you, you can think of the cross that way. But doesn't the cross, if it, make, it makes any sense at all, shouldn't it make sense for our lives today? Shouldn't it matter today? I mean, do we really have to die to get in on it? Surely not. Our scripture reading today affirms the real life, real world consequences of the cross and the resurrection. In Romans 6 
Anna's reading, you heard and got a heaping dose of what is known as the Pauline mysticism. That is, the writer, the Apostle Paul, and the single most influential Christian who ever lived, saw his faith faith as a participatory exercise. It wasn't just something that he believed in over there. It's not something that he was just inspired by. His faith, he believed, so changed him and so revolutionized him, and it will so revolutionize us, that Christ's life becomes our life. That when He died, we died with Him. And when He rose again, we one day will rise again. And in the meantime, we have the power of the resurrected Christ within us to transform us and to make us new. The phrase that he uses over and over again in the New Testament is in Christ. It's his favorite phrase. He uses it 120 times in his letters. We are in Christ. Well, what does that mean beyond just being this kind of mystical phrase? Well, Rory Shiner gives a great example of this. Rory is uh, an Australian But Rory says, imagine that you go to the airport and you're going to get on an airplane and he's from Australia, so he's going to Melbourne. And you look at this airplane. How are you going to get to Melbourne? You won't get there by saying this. I am just so inspired by that airplane. Look at it. Look what it could do. Look how beautiful it is. You won't get there by saying, you know, this airplane is really powerful. And I should probably follow it. You won't get there by saying, I bet that pilot is really capable. I mean, how do you get a job to fly an airplane? You've got to be good at what you're doing. No. Rory finally says, the only way you're getting to Melbourne is to get in the plane. Board the plane. And then, where that plane goes, you go. What that plane experiences, you experience. And he brings that back to the Pauline mysticism, the in Christ language of Paul. If we are in Christ, we have joined in union with Christ, then whatever Christ experiences and has experienced becomes ours. We receive the life and power that Christ has to offer. I'll say it in a very radical fashion from the church fathers Athanasius and Irenaeus, they said it like this, Our Lord Jesus Christ, through His transcendent love, became what we are, that we might become what He is. Isn't that great? Our Lord Jesus Christ, through His transcendent love, became what we are, that we might become what He is. And they go a little further. God became man, that we might become God. Wait a minute, stop, hold it, hold it. What did you just say? People who have a new age woo-woo meter, it's pegging over in the red right now. And I want you to relax. The church fathers did not believe that we would become gods, but they did believe with the Apostle Paul that when we unite ourselves with Christ, 
all that God is falls at our disposal. And as we live our lives, the power of the resurrected Christ continues to shape us into a godly image. We take on, talk about bionics, we take on the highest and best qualities of the risen Lord Himself in the lives that we now live. The Eastern Orthodox Church has a phrase for it. They call it theosis. And I'm not schooled in the ways of the Eastern Orthodox Church, but I am schooled in the ways of the Reformation, and particularly the Radical Reformation, the Anabaptists, the Quakers, and that branch of the Reformation. And they had this same concept that they called deification. And it goes like this. God alone provides us all that we need for salvation in all the ways that we might use that word through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we respond to God's love not with mere belief, not with admiration, but by participating in grace. That is, we get on the plane. And we let it take us where it is going. And I'll summarize the view by using the words of Menno Simons, of whom the Mennonites take their name. Through the cross and resurrection, there can be an actual change in our nature so that the image of God within us is restored. It doesn't mean we become gods, but it does mean that we are in Christ. We are united with God, with the one, with the wondrous more of this vast universe, and we have now at our disposal God's power to become a love-inspired, love-led humanity. I think it works a little bit like this, that Jesus is busy in our lives right now repairing the shattered image of God that is within us all. Would you look at your neighbor? Look at your neighbor. Pick one of them. Even if you live with them, try your best. Now, I want you to look them right in the dead eyes. All right. Now listen. Behind those eyes is the image of God. Behind your, those eyes, there is the image of God. And it's that way in every human being that you meet. We were built. We were made. To reflect the light and love of God in this world. Now, our mirrors get a little broken, don't they? And our light and love gets a little distorted and twisted. And Jesus has come to us to be near us, to repair, to restore, to reinstate that image of God within us, that we would be changed from the inside out. This isn't behavior management. This isn't religion. This is a new way of being and living in the world. And it's made possible by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to show you something quickly. I have a prop with me today. This is a, a small piece of china 
that I took from my wife's art studio yesterday. And this is known as the blue willow pattern, by the way. I don't know anything about that. But Cindy says that this whole print tells the story of forbidden love. Sort of like Romeo and Juliet. That in China somewhere, ancient centuries ago, a boy and a girl fall in love and their families don't want them to be together. And they pursue them. And they're going to uh, separate them forever. And right at the top of the pattern, there are two turtle doves. And the story goes that God turned the couple into turtle doves that they could fly away from danger and be together forever. So you'll notice that uh, this plate has some gold on it. It's, it's, a, it's a taping. This is, a, this is work in prog- progress that my wife is working on. My, uh, my wife didn't throw this plate away when it broke. She kept it. My wife doesn't throw anything away. There's a series on television now called Hoarders. Yeah. I think she's the next episode, possibly. But if you come to our house and you go into our garage, you'll see buckets and boxes of what you might think is junk. And then you go upstairs to her studio and there are more buckets and boxes of what you might think is junk. It's not junk. It's broken plates. It's glass. It's beads. It's buttons. It's uh, recycled stuff. And she makes, if I do say so myself, stunning art creations out of broken stuff. And the Japanese have a name for this, by the way. It's called kintsuji. And this is what Cindy is working on here in process. And it might look as beautiful as that when she is finished. What the Japanese artisans have done for centuries is they don't throw stuff away. We are such a disposable culture. They don't throw it away. They gather up the pieces just like this. And they take resin or lacquer or what have you. And they fuse the pieces back together. And then they take gold or silver dust. And grind it in to those joints. So that when they are finished, what was once broken is now more beautiful and more valuable than it was in its original condition. And I'm telling you, that's what the risen Christ is up to in your life. All those places where you are broken, and to be a human being is to be broken. All those places where you feel so fragmented and torn apart, Those are the very places that Christ enters into and with His own bloody hands puts the pieces back together and turns you and your life into something more beautiful than it was even in its original condition. I don't know how much faith we're going to have in God. But this tells me that God sure has a lot of faith in us. More faith in humanity than I do sometimes. That God would invest so much. That God would give so much. This turns the narrative of, of, of the shaming that Christianity is so good at on its head. And it tells us instead that God thinks a whole lot of you. That He would do this so that you would be able to rise So that you would become a new humanity.
It would be nice to have bionic arms. My golf game would be better, that's for sure. My guitar playing would be better. I haven't got all my dexterity and feeling back in this hand since I had elbow reconstruction surgery. It would be nice maybe to have a bionic eyeball. I want to show you my new progressive glasses. Anybody tried progressives? Hey, I'm driving in these now. Get out of my way. God. I don't want the fancy bionic legs. I'm not running anywhere anymore. If you see me running, come help me. Something bad is chasing me. Or to quote the great Burt Kilpatrick, I can't run, it sloshes the ice from my bourbon glass. If they come up with bionic lungs, I'll take them. I'd like to have those. My point is this. Bionic adjustments to my body might do me some good, but it wouldn't do anything for the world. If we could outfit every person in this room, every person in this community, if we could outfit everybody with bionic limbs, it wouldn't make the world a better place. We don't need revision to the outside. We need revolution on the inside. So that our hearts and minds will change. I can't change the world. I can't change a single person in this room. I can't even change myself. All I can do is surrender to the mysterious but real power of the risen Christ and pray that He who became what I am will transform me more and more into who He is. You have been listening to the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at RonnieMcBrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for listening.